0: Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast. I am Chad Simpson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gian Lemmy. Now, Gian, did you know that I actually ran track in junior high? I did not know, Chad. That surprises me. Well, uh, I did, and uh, I wasn't very good at it. My, I got last place in three events. Uh, I got lapped in the mile, couldn't clear the bar in the high jump, and my relay got last place, and that was my last track and field event.
1: Well, that doesn't surprise me because when we were in college playing tennis together, I always had to wait for you to be the last one to arrive from our runs.
0: I, I believe that I wasn't the greatest athlete, but uh, today we actually—you uh, had the opportunity to interview a legend in the track and field community, and um, Brant Tolzma.
1: Yeah, Chad. Coach Tolzma coached at Liberty University for more than thirty years. And won 116 conference championships, 77 coach of the year awards, and personally coached six individual national champions. He's just unbelievable. What uh, what a resume that he has. But I had the opportunity to sit down with him for a few minutes and got got him to share his story with us and share mainly how does he deal with the different degrees of faith with such a big team since his teams every year have more than 100 players. And I can't wait for you and everyone else to listen to this conversation.
0: Well, let's get after it. I can't wait to hear it as well.
1: Well, Coach Talsma, thank you so much for coming on the Christian Coach Podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Um, We like to start our conversations always with a power question, and that's, uh, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. I, I was really drawn into coaching more by the sport than I was by the ministry. I think I was kind of an unfulfilled athlete who didn't want to give it up yet, and when I had an opportunity to get into coaching, I was excited about that. But then the thing that Sustained me and then really became the emphasis over the later years was the opportunity to impact young men and women for the Lord. And so, uh, you know, being a Christian coach means that you try to run your whole program the way Jesus Christ would. And you say, well, that sounds pretty impossible. But when you consider we have the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ in us, the more we submit to Him, the more we allow him to control our lives, the more we'll coach the way he would coach and the more greater impact we can have in the lives of young people. Obviously, I haven't always done that perfectly, but as I got older and older, it became more and more of my mission and it became the part that was so satisfying about coaching. And uh, and so that's, you know, I think the, because a coach has the potential to have such an impact in young people's lives, a Christian coach is a very important, uh, person to, uh, to mold young men and women.
1: And, you know, the college years are so defining in someone's life, you know, it's a a, a blessing to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, so you just retired, you're recently retired, right? But go back a few years back and tell me how you got to Liberty in the first. That was,
2: that's an interesting story too, because, uh, I started when I really got into athletics, I was trying to be a decathlete. I got a late start. I think I did my first decathlon when I was about 25 or something like that. And, uh, and I wasn't that high level, but I was learning and I totally believed that God could touch me and make me national level. So I used to pray a lot, uh, Lord, if you'll give me the talent, I'll give you the glory. And, uh, and I never got to very high level and I finished up grad school and got a job coaching. And I think it was the first, I'd been there a year. I was actually at Campbell university as the track coach and cross country coach. I've been there a year and I had recruited some promising people the next year. Cause I came, the year I came, it was too late to recruit. And we were having a meeting and I was talking to the team about the talent in that room if we could develop that talent what a great team we could be and and as i was saying that it struck me i remembered my prayer if you'll give me the talent i'll give you the glory and i thought wow you know i got more talent here than i was praying for even you know in in these guys and uh, i wanted it into me but it was mine to work with and i thought okay he he's given me the talent now i have to give him the glory and uh, I don't know how much you know about Campbell. I kind of consider it a sort of a pseudo-Christian school. Yeah. You know, it's in some ways it's Christian, in other ways it's not. But uh, a lot depends on which professor you get and everything. Uh, but I started to try to make the spiritual aspect of coaching more important. I got involved with FCA down there and, and tried to impact people. And then Liberty came asking me to apply. And I'd been there six years at Campbell and the coach at Liberty asked me if he was going to go on a sabbatical. And he asked me if I would come in and be the head men's track coach. And the timing wasn't right. It was summertime. My athletes had all gone home. I had recruited a class. So I told him, I said, uh, well, I might be interested, but the timing's not right. So they, uh, you may know Bill Gillespie. They actually appointed yeah. Bill Gillespie as interim head coach for that year. <laughs> and they offered me the job again in, uh, in February and then I accepted it because uh, the Lord had worked on me up to that point to get me to come because I actually was going downhill a little bit. Cause that was 1986. We didn't have much at Campbell, but they had less at Liberty. <laughs> uh, but I knew, you know, the Lord was calling me there, but I never envisioned the way he was going to bless over the next uh, three and a half decades. And so I think it was, it wasn't me deciding to come coach at Liberty, it was God looking for a person whose heart was to use athletics to glorify him. And then he moved me to the place where it's the best opportunity, I think in the whole world, of glorifying God through athletics at Liberty University. I mean, you're supported, uh, you got everything around you that you would want, uh, including a Christ honoring environment, I tell, I used to tell recruits, Liberty is not heaven, but it's certainly way ahead of what's ever in second place. And uh, because I, there's a lot of good agree. Christian schools, but most of them are NAIA or Division three, or they don't have the kind of commitment to athletics that you have at Liberty. And and now I know in my sport of track and field, the facilities are top five in the country. Yeah. Uh, so
1: we certainly yeah. we certainly been blessed. That's that's good. Um, you you replaced Jake Mathis as the coach, and he is a legend in himself, you know. Um, even the track is named after him, the outdoor track. At yeah, legend, right? yeah, that's right. You, you said you never want to be the guy after the guy in an interview. <laughs> how, how did that make you feel? Did you add extra pressure? Or how do you feel coming in to take over a guy who had a, repu- a great reputation?
2: Well, actually, the person the person who said that was the person interviewing me i i okay. never really even thought okay. about that uh i was they were they were really a, a fledgling program uh, he was running a program pretty much out of the back seat of his station wagon <laughs> he had a, a bunch of distance runners and they had done pretty well in christian college competition but the the room to go up was still huge yeah. so it wasn't like this is going to be difficult to get better uh, because they had they were good at distance running, but they had all kinds of voids on their team. But all, of course they had no facilities either. There was not a track here. They, they uh, had a 200 meter loop where the DeMoss building is <laughs> right in the grass where they ran it a bunch and then they built DeMoss. So then that was gone. So they had nothing. When I first got here, we used to either drive over or jog over to Heritage High School. And then you know, go right up Ward's Road, Ward's Ferry Road yep. there, and and go over there and do our workouts on their asphalt track when they weren't practicing, and then run back sometime or hop in cars and drive back, and so there there was really no way to go but up at Liberty. Yeah, and and it was pretty obvious uh, that, and I expected that we we're going to get better. Besides which, I had I think five athletes that came with me. Which were the better athletes from, from Campbell, and uh, and then we had some good athletes at Liberty, and, but between them both, we actually ran 307 in the 4x4 and got in the College America Championship my second year here with two guys who had come from Campbell and two guys that were at Liberty, or maybe three from Campbell and one at Liberty. I don't know, but uh, so we we had some uh, pretty quick excitement, even without having any kind of facility, and then in uh, 1987, my second year here, uh, I convinced Dr. Folwell that we should build a track, and they started it doing a lot of work themselves, it didn't get done until 1990, it took three years, because <laughs> there was no money, but, uh, but we were heading in the right direction, right out of the gate.
1: That's, that's a cool story, I have um, my story, I came to Liberty as a as an athlete as well, Mm-hmm. in 2008 and when i got to liberty they had just torn down the tennis courts to build a parking lot i remember that and um and so for my first year and a half at liberty as a player we had to go to heritage high school to uh-huh. go play at their courts every yeah, every day i remember that well
2: <laughs> yeah i remember chris johnson i'm like how in the world are you supposed to build a program that was a real major setback yeah
1: yeah it, it definitely kept us humble yeah um, <laughs> So what, I want to talk a little bit more about Coach Mathis. What was something that in those years working under him that you, um, you learned from him?
2: Yeah, well, he, he was a nice, he was a calm guy. He was the one that I didn't mention his name earlier, but he's the one that approached me that wanted me to take over for him. Okay. And he was, he was actually planning to retire pretty shortly, but he wanted to go from running the whole program to just be involved with the distance runners. And I was more of a sprint uh field event kind of guy, and he knew I was a Christian, so that's kind of why he went after me uh but he was uh you know he was a patient man, he was calm uh he had a lot of the traits that I think I also developed as a coach, and we hit it off pretty well right from the beginning uh we actually came down in a yellow school bus to Campbell University to run a track meet against us, a dual meet. They drove from uh, Lynchburg down to Buies Creek, North Carolina in a yellow school bus, got out, we had a meet, they got back in the bus and drove back up. And we came up one time and ran a meet with them at Glass High School. Okay. And so they were, it was so much so much like high school, I mean, and not good high school. Like
1: college athletics, the lower level away.
2: high school, but uh, athletics in general. It's it's funny to hear. Even I remember talking to a coach from Penn State, and if you roll back the clock ten or fifteen years before that, that's the way it was there. They used to hop in a station wagon with their cross country team, give them five bucks for meal money, and go run a meet. And that you know, it's it's only. We think NCAA athletics has been like it's been all this time. But when I was at Indiana University in graduate school in the 70s, the track was terrible. I mean, they they had a track that was just awful. And this was Indiana University in the Big Ten Conference. Yeah. And they could still recruit. It wasn't like everybody had these great facilities. So yeah. a lot has happened in, in my lifetime in terms <laughs> of uh, the whole – emphasis of sports the priority of sports the investment in sports has just skyrocketed over the last 50 years
1: yeah well you mentioned earlier in our conversation about um, making an impact in their student athletes um, in the name of Jesus how is your coaching philosophy different because you follow Jesus
2: well I think that you don't you don't see the athlete as somebody is there to serve you You see yourself as being there to help that person develop and get into the Lord's plan for their life. Now, some of our kids come in uh, just seeking the Lord's will for their life. And and those kind of are just a joy to work with all the time. A lot of them come in where that's not even important to them. And uh, so they have to, their compass isn't set right. And most I often say most track and field athletes are motivated by pride, most men anyway. The women are a lot of times motivated by relationships, but the men are motivated by their ego. And what we try to do is to break that down and get them motivated by their love for the Lord, which is when, when somebody gives you a gift and you love that person, you want to develop that gift and use that gift to honor that person. And that's really what when God blesses us with talent and we become motivated to worship him and to honor him by what we do with that talent, then our motivation won't waver. When the motivation is ego, when you get crushed and humiliated, there goes your motivation. You're just broken. But when you're motivated by serving your Lord and Savior, the the closer you walk with him, the greater your motivation grows. And then you become more and more fired up. And then on top of it, you know that your your responsibility is to compete with the right attitude and to give your best and to train your best. But you're not even responsible for the results. He's in charge of the results. Yep. So that just re- relieves that whole pressure of, okay, I have to do this, I have to do that. And you can just give your best, go out there and enjoy the whole experience. And And there's kind of nothing better than being a christian athlete if you understand it and you get to that point you know you you look at the stories of a guy like eric little or somebody who he wasn't hung up on whether he was going to win or not he was just out there just doing it for the lord and if he won great if he got last that's okay too uh not that he i mean he would give his best yeah. because he knew he was representing christ but sometimes god uses us in defeat in greater ways than he uses us in victory. So, you know, I, I, hate losing, but, but if sometimes uh, not winning is actually better in the long run. And, uh, and so if you can have that kind of faith, I don't claim that I did, but if you could, yeah. if you can get to that point, then you're in a position where God can use you however he wants to. And having that, being able to do that with athletes, you know, to, keep directing them to the right path and directing them to the word and, and sharing truth with them and, and trying to get them to the point where they're they're not hung up on the results and they're just trying to be the best they can be for the glory of the Lord. Uh, that's so, so satisfying. It's so much fun. And when the light goes on for somebody, uh, it changes them as a person and it also changes them as an athlete. And, uh, you know, that's... The, yeah, and I look at a guy like Tim Tebow. I remember watching him in one game where they were going to lose. I mean, they were down, I don't know, three touchdowns or something. They were in the fourth quarter. But he kept playing like they could win. And it would be fourth down and 23. And he completes a pass of 23 and a half yards. And then they kept going. And they went on and won that game. And it was it was him – But it wasn't him. It was the Lord because he never stopped believing. You know, you think about, all right, if you look at some of the things like the greatest athletic turnarounds in history, they never would happen unless somebody believes it can happen and is playing like, okay, this could still happen. And then, you know, and maybe you're setting yourself up for the greatest turnaround in history. If you just keep on believing and, and when your faith is in the Lord and him using you rather than your own ability to accomplish something, then you're, you're free to do that and to give your best and, and, uh, and he blesses that.
1: Yeah. You, you touched on the, um, on the fact that some of your athletes do come on fire for the Lord and then some don't. Um, yeah. I, I deal with that the same. And I'm sure a lot of coaches deal with the same. How, how do you handle the different levels of faith within such a large team. You have a hundred people under you. You know, I only have eight to 12 every year and I struggle with that. I can't imagine a hundred.
2: That is really a struggle. I, I remember that's one of the hardest things. I remember one of uh, the first meeting I had with a team and I, I held up a picture that had on the left side, there was a pregnant lady. And then right next to her, moving to the right, there was a newborn and then there was an infant, and then there was a, a little kid crawling, and then there was a toddler, and then there was a, a little child. And it goes all the way up to an adult, and then to an elderly man, and finally a really old man. And I said, okay, from a spiritual perspective, this is our team. <laughs> I said, we've got all of you. You know, Some of you are not born yet, and some of you are recently born, but you're just babies, and some of you are little kids. And and i said i said so this is this is our challenge is how do we minister to all of you at the same time and i think the answer is in truth all right truth whether it's perceived or not is still truth so if you communicate truth that the the baby can't catch they'll they'll figure it out later you know and if you if you communicate uh Truth that is deeper, well, that's the same thing. if it's deeper, they don't get it, they don't get it. but if you communicate truth that a baby can catch, the older person is amening that anyway, because you know in this world, especially, we love truth because you don't even know what you can believe anymore on used to be you read the newspaper or you see it on t v you go like, Okay, this is true <laughs> now it doesn't, you can't even watch the news and know what's true anymore, but uh Yeah, And the truth, and where is truth? Where do you know you can find truth? It's in the word of God. So you have to just keep going back to the word of God. And that's that's what I try to do a lot. I try to get our athletes to read the Bible. The last, for a while, uh, Coach Bingham, who's now the head coach in track, and I, we went through the whole Bible and wrote up a devotional on the whole Bible. And we had our athletes doing that. And a lot of them resisted it. And, and then re- more recently, I've just been keeping track of, I try to get them to read the entire Bible while they're at Liberty. Okay. So that's what I was trying to do. So I would actually, I would tell them, when you fin- finish a book, send it to me. And I kept a whole chart on who had read what and, and then have a reward when to get the whole Bible done and all. But I just really trying to get them to get in the habit of going daily to the word of God because more than anything in their entire life, that's what's gonna change things. If a kid learns in college to go to the Bible daily, or he doesn't, the difference of where their life will be in 30 years is miles apart. And so that's the real, you know, whether you're a baby Christian or a mature Christian, you need to be in a word. And I also said to them, I said, okay, it doesn't really matter where you are on this chart all it matters is what direction are you going? You know, you, you don't want to stand still. You want to be moving. And in an environment like you have at Liberty, if you come in as a baby or you even get, you know, sometimes kids accept the Lord when they're at school the first month, right? If you come in as a just an unborn and a newborn, by the time you graduate four years later, you ought to be at least a teenager <laughs> because the environment for spiritual growth is so rich if you plug into it. Now some kids just learn to turn it off. You know, they, they just don't listen and but the ones that don't, man, they get excited. I, I can tell a lot about a kid when I when they're new and I ask them, so how do you like convocation? And if they say, Oh, it's boring, then I'm like, Okay, that tells me a lot. And a lot of them will say, Oh, I love it. It's great, you know. So that's that, that tells you a yeah. lot. But but you can't lose heart on the kids that don't get it right away. Because I've had athletes that gave me fits for four years, and then ten years later they send me an email. Sorry, Coach, I I didn't I didn't figure it out. You know, I I, I just thought it was a bunch of words and acts, and and I didn't know the Lord, and uh, and I gave you a lot of trouble. But
1: that goes back. That goes back to always serving them. You know, always That's having right. a serving attitude. Um, so you've won. 116 conference championships
2: yeah that's what they say Yeah, that's what they
1: say yeah <laughs> um 77 coach of the years and you coach six individual national champions mm-hmm. right that that i guess considered by outsiders as great success
2: yeah well actually yeah, we're only three but one guy won four nationals well okay so that makes sense. <laughs> yeah.
1: i but. um is that sam chalanga
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah I amazing. have the
1: experience of eating dinner with him one time at the cafeteria because we went to school at the same time. And yeah. I remember him just eating pizza like crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, this guy is a national champion. Maybe I should just eat pizza all the time. That did not work out. That that was not the best plan for me.
2: Yeah. He uh, just wrote a book. Do you know it? Oh, really? He wrote a book called With the
1: Wind. Okay.
2: It's uh, It just came out maybe two weeks ago or so. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's okay. a good book. It's yeah. it's for everybody, but it has a very kind of subtle Christian message okay. through it all. But That's he didn't good. want it. He didn't write it just for Christians. You know, okay. he wrote it for everybody.
1: Okay, yeah. but it, with all that said, how how do you define success? Um, how is that different now or than you've ever? Well, or?
2: ultimately, success is hearing the Lord say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." enter into the joy of the Lord, that's success in your lifetime. Uh, But uh, if you look at success as a coach, I guess I would define it as, as uh, impacting a lot of young people for good. And the whole thing of winning and losing, you better win enough that you keep your job, that's for sure. You know, Uh, it's, And you're also, one of the things you want to instill that's a Christian characteristic is pursuing excellence. You know, it's not, I I don't like the Christian cop-out where a kid who doesn't train very hard, he says, oh, I lost, but it must not have been God's will for me to win today. (laughs) I'm like, no, it wasn't that it wasn't God's will for you to win. You didn't have the will to train enough to be where God, so God didn't bless you the way he wants to bless you. Because uh, you know it's back on you, but but winning off. and losing is not only how well you do; it's also how good is your competition. Yeah. So there's always somebody better than you, and if you happen to be the best in the world, it's only going to be for a very short amount of time. So you know, don't don't try to hang your hat on that. It's yeah. it's not going to last. But uh, but
1: uh, yeah, that's 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 neat. Change that people's also, lives for yeah, the good. Yeah for successful. that for that student or for that athlete God also says you reap what you sow. Yeah. <laughs> That's right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh I don't like that Christians I, I was talking about the motivation before. If we're motivated by the right way, our motivation should be greater than the guy who's motivated by his ego. So we should have greater motivation. And we have a greater purpose. There's so many things that are greater that and we should be able to avoid a lot of the downfalls that set other people back. You know, the Bible says, "Pride goes before the fall." That's not only true for Christians. Yep. Pride, you can look throughout history. Pride goes before the fall. And so, if if we understand that, if we have a humble attitude, uh, we're gonna we're gonna miss out on a lot of the the humbling experiences that a proud person has to go through uh and so you, there's so many reasons you can be a better athlete if you're a christian yeah. uh i might i don't know i might someday write a book called if it's christian it ought to be better that's what dr falwell uh, always used to say and give them many reasons that it should be better because because it, it should
1: well i would buy that book yeah <laughs> <laughs> um my, my last question talking about books um what are some books that you've read besides the bible that you would recommend to a Christian coach in order to prepare them to be a better coach or to be a better person?
2: Yeah, well, I like Tony Bungie's book, uh, and I'm—I forget the title of it. Quiet,
1: right? quiet strength.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, Ryan Hall's written a couple of good good books. Uh, he wrote a book, Running with Joy. Okay. He's a—he's a great example of a Christian athlete. He—he uh, he actually i I thought about putting his picture on the cover of uh of my book when I republish it the surrender Christian athlete uh let me think what i've read i've read a number of books i've uh but not for a while yeah Yeah, you know, have been reading more, it's all right it's like okay it's okay yeah those are yeah.
1: those are good books i've read yeah. tony dungy's i haven't read ryan hall's yet mm-hmm. um, yeah ryan hall and i haven't read his second book he wrote run the mile
2: you're in and our cross country team actually read that last year i i need to that's that's probably next on my reading list but uh that, that, that's really a good book i yeah. think run the mile you're in that's he came good. and actually spoke at Liberty about that to the faculty that's uh, correct the athletic department, you might that's remember
1: correct. yep, yeah last year yep yeah that's that's correct um well, now you're retired, you're spending a lot more time with family, yeah but I, I think one of the biggest struggles coaches of any any sport have is balancing family with work because we're always on the road how How were you able to do that for so many years and still well, be able to
2: yeah and I probably I am that. not the example. I'm not the poster child of how you should do that because especially in the beginning, I was so motivated and to uh excel and so so felt like i was in i was the one that had to do it that I probably uh, my wife would tell you I wasn't around as much as I should have been, but I think that as time rolled on, I started realizing that okay, it's not it's not me that's accomplishing things, it's the Lord using me. And so he wants to use us, he wants to use us in a way according to his plan, right? So if you go to the Bible, the Bible talks about uh, family and being a father and these kind of things. And you're also called to be a coach, but you can't put everything into being a coach and nothing to being into a father. You you want to please the Lord even in that. Doctor Forwell was a great example of that because he was talk about busy man. I mean, he was flying around the country. He was, but yeah, he was always at his kids' birthday parties, at their recitals, all that kind of stuff. He he would clear his whole day to do family things, and uh, because it's a priority, and you really need to remember your priorities. You know, God is first, your family is second, and then your profession is third. And there's times where you have to get somebody else to cover for you. Now, if you get good assistance and all that, and you can trust them when a situation arises, you need to, you can't be there, you you trust them. And then it's not that hard to do if you remember, well, God's the one that's doing the work, not me. And, uh, therefore he doesn't necessarily mean need me. He's gonna, he can take me out at any time and replace me. That's not it, but it's, it's his work. It's his mission. And, uh, and, it, and he can, when he blesses, I used to say this, uh, you cannot outwork or out recruit the blessing of God. All right. So if, if if you work way harder than everybody else and you recruit better athletes than everybody else but god just pours out his blessing on them and he doesn't on you <laughs> you're gonna lose anyway <laughs> so uh, i think that's uh more i realized that the the more and yeah. toward the end i was better at you know taking my hours down from 80 down to <laughs> 60 or 55 or something but yeah. but coaching is a demanding profession and uh, if you want a 40-hour-a-week job, look in a different field.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, Coach Holzman, thank you so much for taking the time. I know now you have grandkids at home and uh, got to spend time with them as well. Um, yeah. We like to close out um, just asking you, how can we be praying for you in the next few well, months or years coming up? Yeah, thank you.
2: Uh, one of my reasons that I did retire too is that I wrote a book back in the, uh, it was published in 2001, The Surrendered Christian Athlete. And then it, it went out of print in the in the teens somewhere. Uh, I didn't have any more copies. And then, uh, uh, but I wanted, I didn't republish it because I wanted to rewrite it. I want to do like a second edition. And I, I have a number of chapters that are half done. And so I need to get that rewritten. That's something I hope to do by Christmas time, even or early in the new year. And then I'm actually planning, I felt the Lord's leading me to write a second book, like a sequel to The Surrendered Christian Athlete called The Surrendered Christian Coach. And in that I'll outline uh, a lot of the lessons that the Lord taught me that took me from being a a 25 year old coach who was in it for the sport to the one that I, I was last year where I was in it for the ministry and hopefully help people to short uh short circuit a little bit uh so that it'll be kind of written to the 25 year old me and uh from my 70 year old self now and try to learn some lessons so those are two things that are on my agenda right now that I, i'd like to get done in the next uh year and a half at least so i would appreciate yeah uh, writing is interesting you know it's Sometimes the Lord just inspires you. The first time I wrote The, uh, the Surrender Christian Athlete, I had no desire or no interest in writing a book. And the Lord just woke me up one night at 2.30 in the morning. And I had to sleep. I had a busy day the next day. And he kept telling me to write a book. You're like, how do you tell? Well, it was just in my spirit, you know. And I, I prayed. I wrestled. I told him why I couldn't do it. I was too busy, all this stuff. And I did that till 5.30. Then I got up, I walked in the kitchen, I pulled out a paper and a pencil, pencil, and I wrote on the top of the page, the surrendered Christian athlete, the sovereignty of God, the Lordship of Christ, the principle of talents, the requirement of sacrifice, the necessity of obedience, the danger of discouragement, the lessons of failure, the value of victory. Took me 30 seconds to write out 10 chapter titles. And I put the pencil down and I was like, whoa this is freaky. You know, it was, it was totally a spiritual experience where God told me to do this. And I'm like, so I just surrendered, you know, talk about being a surrender Christian athlete or surrender Christian. I just said, Lord, I don't know how I can do this. I don't, but but I'll do it. And then, you know, when, when you are, when he inspires you and, and you get writing, it's not like you writing. It's like the Holy spirit in you is writing and nothing like that's that's so much fun when if you're speaking or writing or something and you get out off a script and you feel the holy spirit take over well that's that's one of those cool experiences you know yeah and uh so i that's what i would appreciate prayer for that he would inspire me that the whole process will will go well and that the words that go down on the page would be from him and can have an impact in the lives of people who might read the book someday
1: well that's good all right. So, well, thank you so much again for coming and we'll close out in prayer. Okay. Thank you. Dear Jesus. Thank you so much for this conversation with coach Tolzma. Um, he's been able to influence so many athletes and staff and, and other coaches through his ministry. Um, Lord, uh, I would like to pray that you give him inspiration as he rewrites his first book, as he starts and finishes the second that he wants to write. Lord, I pray that you'll be with him along, along the way. And give them the words that that will help others come to know you as their savior, Lord. Uh, thank you again for um, this this beautiful day, and the beautiful country we live in, and Lord, uh, I pray that you help us to to always glorify you and honor you in everything we say and do. In my pray.
2: Amen. Thank you.
0: what an opportunity gian for you to get to sit down with a legendary coach with over 30 years and uh and just pick his brain uh what were your favorite quotes from this one
1: i think the the one that stood out to me the most was when he's when he was talking about recruiting right when he got to liberty and he prayed to god he said god you give me the talent and i'll give you the glory and you can definitely tell that god answered that prayer because He was able to accomplish so much, even from the early beginnings of the program when they didn't even have like an office or they were just, you know, he would drive around his car with all the equipment and everything. And I think God really answered that prayer to him. And he, you know, held or he kept his side of the bargain as well, because every time he gave an interview on TV, on the radio, he always gave God the glory first before he said anything else.
0: That's so good. And and for me, what I was thankful to hear from him on just the varying um, places of where his players are at spiritually. And for me, I'm able to take that right away to, to my team and just um, be bold to just share with them the truth and, um, and just the, that goal of if I can have all of my my players uh, build that habit of getting in God's word daily, what an impact that would make on their lives.
1: Yeah, that quote was really good. It said, truth, whether perceived or not, it's still the truth. And I think that's so important for us all coaches to know that regardless of what level of faith our players have, if you preach them the truth, then it will it'll have an impact in their lives.
0: And- we, uh, again, we're just so excited uh, to get this opportunity to, to have this conversation. And um, you guys are going to be so um, excited to hear these, these next conversations coming up from these other coaches that, that we get to interview and learn from and pick their brain. And coach, just want to encourage you that, that the mission field is right where you're at. We'll see you next time on the Christian Coach Podcast.